I'm going to be preaching on the last three verses of Psalm 48, but to give us the context, I'm going to read the entire psalm. The last <coughs> three verses that I'm going to be preaching on are also found uh, in the version that I'm preaching from the New King James uh, on your bulletin on the right-hand side. So you can find it there as well. But I'm going to start off by reading all of Psalm 48. This is a song, a psalm of the sons of Korah. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. In the city of our God, in his holy mountain, beautiful in elevation, the joy of the whole earth. Is Mount Zion on the sides of the north, the city of the great king. God is in her palaces. He is known as her refuge. For behold, the kings assembled. They passed by together. They saw it, and so they marveled. They were troubled. They hastened away. Fear took hold of them there, and pain, as a woman in birth pangs, as when you break the ships of Tarshish with an east wind. As we have heard, so we have seen in the city of the Lord of hosts, In the city of our God, God will establish it forever. We have thought, O God, on your loving kindness in the midst of your temple. According to your name, O God, so is your praise to the ends of the earth. Your right hand is full of righteousness. Let Mount Zion rejoice. Let the daughters of Judah be glad because of your judgments. Walk about Zion. And go all around her. Count her towers. Mark well her bulwarks. Consider her palaces. That you may tell it to the generation following. For this is God. Our God forever and ever. He will be our guide. Even to death. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly God we thank you for your holy word. We thank you for delivering it and inspiring it in these sons of Korah. We thank you for preserving it through all of these years. We thank you, Heavenly Father, for those who labored to faithfully translate it. And I pray, Heavenly Father, that as I do my small work, trying to unpack what is said here, Lord. I pray, Heavenly Father, that I would be faithful to your word. I pray on whatever I err, Heavenly Father, that it would be forgotten by those who are hearing. Pray, Heavenly Father, that the holiness and majesty of you and that which is granted to your word as well being infallible, Lord, and being majestic and glorious, that those things would be before us, Lord. I pray this in Christ Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. Well, we have spent the months from February talking about Nehemiah and his passion that the walls of Jerusalem be rebuilt. Here is a man who, upon hearing that the people were in reproach and distress, the walls being torn down and the gates burned with fire, wept, mourned, fasted, and prayed. 
And when he goes to Jerusalem with the king's permission to rebuild, when he finally tells the people what he is intending, he says this. You see the distress we're in, how Jerusalem lies waste, and its gates are burned with fire. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer be a reproach. Distress and reproach are the words used to describe this people who have no walls. Nehemiah, whose passion is to provide such a wall, is a man who has been lifted up to us as an example over these months. And we need to realize that his vision and his work go against our culture. Nehemiah would not be a hero nowadays. Because walls are pretty uniformly something we think need to be torn down. Have you heard language like this? Got to tear those walls down. Have you heard things like that? Phrases like that? We have rock operas about such things as well, don't we? Nehemiah, however, rebuilds a wall. Puts one back in place. How are we supposed to think about this? The Bible tells us that we must renew our minds. And one of, the th- <clears throat> one of the things that we need our minds renewed about, our thinking renewed, even how we talk renewed, is walls. <clears throat> because our culture loves to speak against walls, that walls are something to be torn down, removed, <clears throat> we have to understand how Scripture views a wall. <clears throat> we need to realize that our culture is hypocritical. For when an earthquake comes, or floods or winds come, and the water pours in, when waters fall and when walls fall in some catastrophe, nobody rejoices. You do not hear anyone saying how wonderful the disasters of this year have been because of all the walls that have been torn down, have you? And yet in cocktail conversation we use the wall the word wall pejoratively. There's one exception to that the wall of separation between church and state. That's a good wall, they say. That one needs to stay in place, but all the others need to be taken down. We insult walls all the time, yet when God, giving us what we've asked for, removes them, we mourn. And we're more honest when we mourn. So we need to see what Scripture says about these things. We also need to see that what we've talked about since finishing up Nehemiah Right worship, church discipline, is also very much the same sort of thing. It's all pretty much one topic. To start out then, we need to appreciate what a wall is. A wall is first and foremost a protection. We can realize this from nature even before we go to the scriptures. If we think of our own houses, we realize what the walls and the roof and foundation keep out. The heat, the cold, the wind the rain, the sleet, the hail, the snow. It's a means of protection from the elements. Even the animals seeking their holes and dens know this, not rationally, but in their animal way. What the psalmist has in mind is protection not against the elements, but against those who would wish to do them evil. A fence in a field or pasture, a hedge or wall around a vineyard or orchard, is the protection against animals who would destroy the crops or kill the livestock. But the walls of Jerusalem are a defense of citizens against human enemies, largely. Count her towers, mark well her bulwarks. Military defense is what the psalmist has in mind. 
these walls will do nothing against an earthquake, nothing against rain and snow, <coughs> little against wind, and less would have been sufficient to have kept the animals out. But against a foe, against an army, a well-built wall placed on a high point is a good defense. And if a wall of a city is its first defense, the loss of a wall is a dreadful thing. It is a source of distress. It is a reproach to a people, just as Nehemiah says. This is a good part of Nehemiah's grief. His people are without defense. They are in a shameful state. The loss of a wall isn't so much taught in the Bible to be a bad thing as assumed to be a bad thing. Indeed, other ills are compared to it, and then everyone knows what you mean. Listen to these. Uh, listen to a couple of proverbs. The effects of laziness are described in Proverbs 24, where we read of the dwelling of the sluggard. And there it was, all overgrown with thorns. Its surface was covered with nettles. Its stone wall was broken down. And not only laziness, but lack of self-control is described in the same way in the next chapter. Whoever has no rule over his own spirit is like a city broken down without walls. The force of such an analogy was clear to a people who depended on walls for protection. This is how bad laziness is, these proverbs say. This is how bad laziness is. This is how bad a bad temper can be. It's like being in a ruined city that doesn't have any walls. Not a good place to be. <clears throat> so wall is protection, but it's more than just protection. It's also a boundary, a border running between what's inside and what's outside. The psalmist encourages us to walk about Zion go all around her. There is a line between what is Jerusalem and what is not, regardless of defense. A line can demarcate political boundaries, property, can help keep your cattle in. Broaden your understanding of a wall to include a fence, or even just a line between nations. And then all sorts of other scriptures leap to mind, like this proverb which contrasts the ends which the proud and the humble can expect. Proverbs 15.25, the Lord will destroy the house of the proud, but he will establish the boundary of the widow. There are also passages about not moving the ancient landmark, which would be boundary markers, and things in scripture about the lines falling in pleasant places. These are boundary lines, speaking about a generous allotment of land that you've been given. Is it any coincidence that the word border has taken a beating lately in our culture? A border and a wall are very similar things. <clears throat> so a protection, a boundary, it's a distinction between things also. Something we see if we obey the psalmist's encouragement to consider her palaces. A palace also has a wall around it, for all the usual reasons, but the wall here also distinguishes it from the common places. If you think of a palace, you know that the inside of it is very different than the inside of any other building. The temple walls are even more important in this regard. The walls say this, within me is a holy place. 
seeing a wall as a distinction, not just a distinction that you can hold in your mind, but one that's really manifest and physical, something made out of stone or wood or drywall, then more scripture floods into your mind. In the Bible, we see our God to be a God who makes distinctions from the very beginning. The heavens and the earth, the light and the darkness, the sea and the dry ground, the different plants and animals were seed according to their kind. All these are made and they are made distinct. The making of distinctions is not the result of sin. All this happens before the fall. But it is how God acts when all is deemed to be good. A distinction is a good thing in a world in which God has created so much so different. Now again, it's no coincidence that our culture increasingly dislikes distinctions, especially if they have value judgments attached to them. But as Christians, we don't have a choice if we're going to follow this God who makes distinctions. And actually, as human beings made in the image of God, we don't have a choice anyway. We are going to make distinctions. We can do it honestly, or we can do it dishonestly. But we're going to make (coughs) distinctions. God commands Adam, the man, to distinguish between the different animals by giving them different names. All of these distinctions build up between things walls. Better put, properly recognizes the walls that are already between them. A cat is not a dog. Okay, anybody who has had a pet knows that a cat is not a dog. And it's good that we have different words for them. So, when you see a wall, you should see at least three things. A means of protection, a boundary, and a distinction. There may be more. I don't know if I'm being exhaustive here. But these are three things at least that we ought to see when we see any wall. And they are three things that the world in which we live increasingly objects to. We need to find them not just necessary, we need to find them, or or just useful, but objects of delight. Why? Well, the psalmist says something to answer that question. At the beginning of verse 14, we read the words, For this is God. The word for here means because. Walk about Zion. Consider her ramparts and towers. Consider the palaces because this is God. Not that the walls and palaces are God himself, but that these are the things that God has done. These are the things that God has granted, that God has provided. This is the work of God you're seeing here. That's why it's worth paying attention to. The walls are pregnant with significance because they are God's craftsmanship. This son of Korah who wrote this psalm sees God's provision of protection in the walls. And if you realize this about the walls we encounter, you start to realize the serious business of delighting in walls. I could take each of the three and show God's provision for us in each, protection, distinction, boundary, But I just want to focus on protection for now. God's protection of us in all of the various ways in which he protects us is a gracious provision. It certainly was for the people in Nehemiah's time. The wall that Nehemiah led to be built was a provision for God's people there. 
Jeremiah indirectly prophesied about it when he told the people there would be a return to the chosen land, and he said this. This is Jeremiah 32, 37. Behold, I will gather them out of all the out, out of all countries where I have driven them in my anger, in my fury, and in my great wrath. I will bring them back to this place, and I will cause them to dwell safely. Before, they were in distress and were a reproach, hardly dwelling in safety. Afterwards, they had the protection of a wall. Now, that we would see God's provision for us in something as earthly and as breakable as a wall might surprise us. When Elisha's servant is granted the eyes to see the heavenly hosts that have camped around the army that has come to take Elisha, that there are more with them than against them, we see God's provision of protection for these servants of his. We're accustomed, some of us, to taking comfort and delight in the idea that there are guardian angels watching over us. But a wall? Does God work through a wall? Yes, he does, because he is Lord of heaven and he is Lord of earth. All things do his bidding, both heavenly and earthly, and he works out his will through all things. Please don't misunderstand me. The spiritual provisions are greater. But I want to emphasize to you with my poor words the vast expanse of God's good providence to you in spiritual things unseen, but also in the bricks of our house, in the locks and the keys, in the cop on the beat. Those things are worth noting. If <clears throat> Those things are worth nothing if God does not bless them. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. But if the Lord does guard the city, they do their job and they do not watch in vain. God, in part, works his will through those watchmen. David declares that the battle belongs to the Lord. But he had five smooth stones that he had already picked up when he said that for use. And he had his skills with the slingshot. Those are things that God granted him. Granted him that riverbed. Granted him the skills that had been built up over the years. Earthly means in God's hands for God's purposes. The same goes for a wall. If the wall is a provision of protection by God, then think of this. The removal of a wall is a judgment by God, his removal of protection. That is how the scriptures view such a thing. When Moses was speaking to the Israelites before his death and was speaking of how the nation would turn from God and his commands, trusting in earthly things, among the many curses that would be among them, is this one. This is Deuteronomy 28.52. They shall besiege you at all your gates until your high and fortified walls in which you trust come down throughout all your land. And they shall besiege you at all your gates throughout all your land which the Lord your God has given you. To have a wall removed is a judgment of God. So it is with Jerusalem, and so it is with the enemies of Jerusalem, through whom the judgment came. They, too, will have their walls removed. <coughs> Jeremiah 51:58 says this with regard to Babylon. Thus says the Lord of hosts, 
The broad walls of Babylon shall be utterly broken, and her high gates shall be burned with fire. The people will labor in vain in the nations because of the fire, and they shall be weary. The book of Amos almost has a refrain in the first chapter along these lines. I will send a fire upon the wall of Gaza. I will send a fire upon the wall of Tyre. I will kindle a fire in the wall of Rabbah. Should we make a praise song out of that? It's a nice refrain. (laughs) This is the judgment that comes upon the Philistines, the Phoenicians, the Ammonites. Part of their judgment is the walls are taken away. Or, listen to these words directed against the enemies of David. How long will you attack a man? You shall be slain, all of you, like a leaning wall and a tottering fence. To be compared to a leaning wall is dreadful. The removal of a wall is a fearful and dreadful thing. Can we start to understand Nehemiah's grief? It's not merely the removal of protection. It's a sign of judgment. God grants protection through things as simple as a wall. The Lord can give and he can take away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Let us have that beginning of wisdom that the scriptures tell us of and fear him. Now, to see the full measure of this, not the full measure, but a larger measure of this, let's return to Psalm 48 and hear how it ends again. Verse 14. For this is God, our God forever and ever. He will be our guide even to death. Forever and ever, our guide even to death. What Christian soul can read this and not think of Christ? What guidance do I have to the point of death apart from Christ? What protection do I have against the wrath of God for my sins, against his judgment, except for Christ? Who will be my strong tower? What ramparts have been provided for my soul? Whose palaces do I seek? Can I read this psalm without seeing Christ in it? Should I not say that Christ is my wall? In Christ, I can see God's protection of me to the fullest. I can see the boundaries that God has given for me, and I can see the distinctions that God desires me to make. All of those glorious walls, count the towers, mark the ramparts that that God has erected in Christ and give thanks to Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Christ will protect us. Christ is the good shepherd and he is the door of the sheepfold. See him there at the threshold, keeping us from leaving, keeping out the sheeps, uh, keeping out the thieves. He has placed us in his sheepfold, his church, and there he watches over us perfectly. He has given us rules by which we are to order our lives in church. The matters of church discipline that Pastor Randy has preached on over the past three weeks shouldn't be viewed by us as heavy burdens, but as heavy stones rightly placed and ordered into a wall to protect us. The walls in the temple that Ezekiel saw were ten feet thick. 
church discipline rightly practiced would be as safe. <clears throat> you want to be countercultural. I mean, really countercultural. Delight in a church that practices church discipline. Insist on it as God's provision of protection to you. Protection from the leaven of the sin of others, protection from your own sin, and you will be considered truly weird. But you will be faithful to God and his word. Think of the man mentioned in 1 Corinthians that Pastor Randy has spoken of. Caught in incest, what happened to him? He had the walls removed from around him. That's what excommunication means. The walls are taken away. Just as it was fearful in Nehemiah's time, so it should be fearful to us. But if the time this man spent by the rivers of Babylon caused him to repent, as I think was likely the case, it was God's good providence to him to have him realize the provision of protection that he had in Christ, that he had spurned, and that he might at last regain it, have those walls back around him. David said much the same thing in Psalm 51, a psalm of repentance that he wrote with regard, after he had sinned in the matter regarding Bathsheba. Verses 17 and 18 of Psalm 51 say this, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. Do good in your good pleasure to Zion. Build the walls of Jerusalem. Isn't that an interesting series of verses to put together? He repents and then says, build the walls of Jerusalem. Delights in the walls that God will build. The protection that God will give him. May we who have been granted repentance do the same thing. Our time and your patience would fail me to list all the ways in which Christ protects us. But I'm going to mention one more. I'm going to mention it because the psalm refers to it. Provision of family. Not only the church family then, but also the families in which we live our day-to-day lives. <clears throat> that you may tell it to the generation following. The provision to a child, provision to a child through parents who believe in Christ is great indeed. Parents should see it as the greatest heritage they can pass on to their children. Let me tell you about the walls of Jerusalem, my son. That may sound more poetic than let me tell you about the glories of church discipline, but we could, we could say that as well. The children in their time, we pray, should see it as the greatest inheritance that they have received from their parents. Parents are to protect their children from all manner of harm. It's one of the means that God uses. It's a wall of a sort. So the parents are a wall as well. The locking of doors at night is a spiritual duty. As is family worship, speaking about godly things when you rise, go out, come in, lie down. In Christ I have not only protection, I also have right boundaries given to me. I will mention just one. First, Randy has preached on right worship, worship according to what God has made clear in his scriptures. We are to do in formal worship. 
And frankly, the world sees that approach and considers it passe and so yesterday. Walk about the temple. See its boundary line. Consider it well and then say with the saints, how lovely is your tabernacle, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. First two verses of Psalm 84. His courts, the walls he has established, worship as he has described it. The lines have fallen in pleasant places. And I think Randy opened up wonderfully how the lack of offense and the ease of doing that which we do in worship. Those are lines falling in very pleasant places. It should be pleasant for us. In Christ and the spirit that he has sent, I am also given the wisdom to see right distinctions. So in Christ I have all protection, boundaries, I see right distinctions. I'm going to give one rather large example here. When I get to this point, I see some very clear cases where we can agree with those who nowadays talk about how they want to tear down walls. Are there walls that should be torn down? Are there? Yes. There certainly are. And the ability to see what walls we should delight in and what walls should be removed is provided for us in Christ. The question is not whether a wall is a good thing or a bad thing, but whether any particular wall is a good thing or a bad thing. We know this from nature. What would happen if you, if I, if you came in next Sunday and I had erected a wall from that corner to this corner? What would you say? You'd say, Neil's lost his mind. You would say, I think we need to get out the pry bar and take the thing down. <clears throat> well, what if, when we get, if and when we get to the point of rebuilding the sanctuary, and I think it's going to be when, <clears throat> we find the wall has been erected 10 feet to the side of the edge of the roof. We're going to say that wall needs to be moved, if not taken down. Okay, so we see that in nature. There are good walls and there are bad walls. <clears throat> a wall must be in the right place to be a good wall. Else you tear it down and start again or you move it. So too in spiritual matters. Here is a wall taken down in Christ. The wall between Jew and Gentile. Paul speaks to the Gentiles here in the book of Ephesians. This is Ephesians 2 verses 12 through 14. At that time you were without Christ being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace. He has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation. Here was a wall that was right for a time, but was removed in Christ at God's prerogative. The book of Acts and the epistles detail the deconstruction work on this wall. Peter's vision of the sheep come down from heaven, the realization on the part of the Jews that the gift of repentance has been granted to the Gentiles. Paul's missionary journeys, all of that is the removal 
of that wall. And when wall, parts of the wall start being rebuilt again, they have to be knocked down. Paul rebukes Peter to his face. Paul writes some pretty harsh things to the Galatians. What walls go down and what walls should remain? The scriptures are our guide. The gospel having gone to all nations, the wall of racism, for example, should be hateful to us. For two reasons. Because of creation, all people are made in the image of God. And because of redemption, one from any tribe of people may be my brother in Christ. Yes, tear down that wall. But try to call marriage something that isn't a marriage but a sin. Dirty that which is is to be a living parable of Christ and the church, a marriage between a man and a woman. Build up that wall. Repair its breaches. Build it high. Build it thick. It's not the only barrier that's been removed in Christ. Here's a great, even greater one. Matthew 27, verse 51. Then behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth quaked and the rocks were split. This is the veil that separated the holy place from the holy of holies, where the high priest would go only once a year. God, in his time, removes that barrier. It would have been wrong for it to have been torn from the bottom to the top. Torn by a man. But from top to bottom makes it clear that it is God's work and it is God's prerogative. And it comes with an earthquake. The removal of that barrier was not a simple matter, but one that shook the ground. God, through Christ, is made approachable because he pleads his blood on our behalf. I have, and all of us have here who are in Christ, the spirit of adoption by which we cry, Abba, Father. We address God as our Father who art in heaven. If I were to teach you in a way so as to make God unapproachable, say that we can't refer to him as Father or we can't know anything about him, if I try to erect a stone wall where the cloth was torn, anathemas will be upon me. Christ pronounces woes upon those who, refusing to go in themselves, also prevent others from entering in. That's not a wall for us to build up. So we have to discern right walls from wrong walls. The removal of walls in Christ is a matter not only for rejoicing, but also for godly fear. I've seen one of the walls removed by Christ. I've seen the jumble of stones around the Temple Mount of Jerusalem, which were thrown down in 70 AD. Who did this thing? Well, you'd say the Romans. <coughs> but let's read from the Gospel of Luke, Luke 21, 5 and 6. Then he... Oh, I'm sorry. Then, as some spoke of the temple, how it was adorned with beautiful stones and donations, he, being Jesus, said, These things which you see, the days will come in which not one stone shall be left upon another that shall not be thrown down. Did not God do this thing as he had before in Jeremiah's time? 
explaining why earlier in Luke we have this. This is Luke 19, verses 41 through 44. Now, as he, Jesus, drew near, he saw the city and wept over it, saying, If you had known, even you, especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you and close you in on every side, and level you and your children within you to the ground. They will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not know the time of your visitation. Fear God, who builds up walls and removes walls. Delight in the ones he has built up for his good pleasure and surely for our protection and eternal benefit. May praise upon praise come from our lips to our Lord and our Redeemer, Christ Jesus. Psalm 18.2 The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my strength in whom I will trust, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. Proverbs 18.10 The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. And Psalm 61 verse 3 for you have been a shelter for me, a strong tower from the enemy. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we ask that we would be granted eyes and ears to see and hear <coughs> the portrait that you have made in things. And when we put on our clothes, that we would be reminded of our shame and of the provision that we have in Christ Jesus that we put on Christ that we have a covering of righteousness and when we look at something as simple as the walls of our house Heavenly Father we pray that we would see the poetry in them as well your protection of us boundaries that you have put around us, Lord, and the fact that you have called us distinct as well. There are sheep and there are goats. Heavenly Father, who give us humility, give us wisdom, that the boundaries that we set be good and right boundaries, that the distinctions that we make be godly distinctions. I pray, Heavenly Father, that we would please you in these things. For you, <coughs> for you put a boundary around the sea. You made things distinct, Lord, and we are made in your image. <coughs> pray, Heavenly Father, that we would know of your protection, sure and certain and perfect this coming week, that we would delight in it, that we would rest in it, we pray these things in Christ Jesus' name. Amen.